if Nelson Mandela couldn't save South Africa, if, if, if Nelson, if he couldn't, if Dr. King's work and whatever else is going on in America right now, and we've got perhaps one of the worst racial conditions going on, we got hatred between the races, we got poverty off the charts, we got one out of every black man don't have a job, we got 70 to 80% of every woman don't have a man, but she got children leading households. There's something wrong somewhere. There's something wrong somewhere. Now to beat that old dead horse and say that the white man is doing it, that is the silliest, most asinine, foolish thing I've ever heard. Because if you say 70 to 80% of out of every home is headed by women and not by men, and to say the white man is the reason for that, if you believe that, you might as well just give up. Because essentially what you're saying, we can't beat the white man. He's too much for us. We can't beat him. We tried, we marched on him, we cussed him out, but he's still beating us. Every time we turn around, he's beating us. He keeps us down in the gutter. He keeps us running away from us. The white man keeps beating us. We can't beat him. It's the white man that's holding us down, is what you're saying. You're giving him credit. Because obviously, I don't think you're crazy. If he wasn't holding you down, you wouldn't volunteer to be down. So what you're saying, black man, is you're saying that the white man is better than you. Whew. My name is Germ. This is Germ Warfare, the Battle of Ideas. Um, it's very cold in Cape Town at the moment. Uh, I have a rum with me uh, to warm me up, but after after listening to Pastor James Manning, I think I'm already warm. <laughs> welcome, welcome, Pastor. Jeremy, thank you for having me today. I'm delighted to be on your broadcast. When you hear yourself like that, do you, does it fire you up? Does it stir anything inside of you? I don't know. I, I suppose I have some mixed emotions uh, because in the moment, I'm not necessarily always cognizant of of exactly what, how I'm delivering. I know what's in my heart. I know what I want to say. You know, I, I want to say stop the bitching and moaning is basically what black people do about their relationship with white people for umpteen years. I know I want to say that, and I want to confront them with the truth, Jeremy, that they don't get from anybody else that's in you know, the whole genre of leading black people. So that's what's in my heart. But how it comes out, sometimes I'm amazed at uh, my passion uh, that gets boiling as I get going. Uh, so I'm not sure I put very much credit in church. Though I'm a pastor, I'm not sure I give the church any leadership or credibility for being able to solve any of today's problems. Mm -hmm. That is not to say that the word of God or that Jesus is uh, inadequate for the problem. It's just that the people representing right now are so far away from truth that they are worthless. And I can understand if you don't go to a church, I can definitely understand that. Um, but I, I think that the other reason is is that the, you, you don't see the passion is mainly because uh, if you know you're lying um, and you're not delivering the truth, you probably can't be as passionate about that as perhaps you should. That might be one reason, but it's certainly not the end all of the be all of end all. I'm in Harlem, right? I'm in I'm in I'm in the Soweto, if you will, of uh, of New York City, and uh, America. And I, uh, you know, I I prophesied that 
this, of course, being uh, the uh, the flagship of 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 all so-called black people. Now, I'm not always crazy about the term black either. That's another mm. thing, but we can get into that a little bit later on. Um, but God has named this community Atla, meaning all the land anointed holy, uh, and that righteousness, Jeremy, is the only thing that's going to solve mm. the problems that exist between the races. Uh, and so Atla, that's the acronym for, um, for all the land anointed holy. What is the history of Atla and, of course, your church? I, I, I think it goes all the way back to the 1950s, if I, if I remember. Yeah, well, the church was established by a pastor in 1957 who, uh, when uh, the drug, the heroin craze was just beginning to take deep root uh, here in America, and a drug addict said up to him that you'd better be the light, uh, you know, to serve the community, he later passed... Uh, I was ordained to take charge of the ministry, uh, and the term Atla was born 30 years ago, uh, looking at the epidemic of racism problems, the fact that many of the solutions that had been put, that had been tendered, uh, the Dr. King marches, the Black, pa Black Panthers, the, the Islamic Malcolm X, and all that crowd, um, it all failed, if you will, and failed miserably at solving the problem. Uh, God spoke to me about just calling for righteousness and mainly, Jeremy, that all the movements, if you go back as far as the 1920s with the advent of people like W.E. Du Bois, who was probably the first Harvard graduate with a PhD, who was partially, if not 70% communist um, and, and against America for that matter. And then through that process, it came at the at the end of the, uh, the what was called the the, the great period of of a famine here in America was the uh, civil rights movement in 1950 with Dr. King, um, and, and none of those have looked at the the fact that the problem is within black people themselves, their own ethics, their own morals, uh, their own failure to interpretate their problems and to interpret it squarely, and more specifically to understand or to look at their competitiveness to white, if you will, the white world going back several centuries. For instance, I mean, I was at Oxford several years ago and the place where I was speaking had been built in the 12th century mm -hmm. and it was made out of stone, big stone walls, stone buildings, and it was still standing after being built in the 12th century. And yet I was also in Liberia and there's not a stone building there. I mean, yeah. you know, and, they're, 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 and we're talking about in the 20th century that they haven't yet built anything of that structure. Yeah. So when you compare, you know, the advancement and development of, of planet Earth by the, the races, you know, the so-called black man is far behind and he needs to look at that and ask the question, why? Because when he had Africa all by himself, he did nothing in terms of the structure of the things that he claims that he likes and he wants to express, uh, and that are certainly trademarks of, of, of building great civilizations. He's not done that. Now, mm -hmm. it's not that he can't do it. I didn't say that. But he hasn't done it, and he won't tell himself that. Um, and so that's that's probably where my, where my passion comes from. I've been to Pretoria, uh, Johannesburg, Cape Town, uh, Mutapastad, uh, Soweto. Uh, no, I, I, yeah. 
when was that? Oh, was it during yeah. apartheid? Is what I'm asking, or or after? No, apartheid was still involved. The five pillars of apartheid was still involved. Nelson Mandela was still in, at Robben Island or someplace associated with Robben. He had not been. It was before 1990, whatever it is. He was really. It was in 1982, 83, okay. somewhere thereabouts. I think when I uh, Bishop uh, Tutu yes, had just Desmond. won, the, the, had just won the Nobel Prize for Peace. Uh, the same year I attended, uh, that I spent some time in South Africa. And America is highly developed is, in, in terms of its cities, uh, and to some degree, its rural areas. There's, there's, there are some areas that are impoverished in some ways, but when you look at the, the places that are mainly inhabited by black people in terms and mass, uh, they are generally still third world in many regards even though they have access to uh, American infrastructure, the, the, the way in which the neighborhoods are maintained, for instance, I, I haven't preached this very often lately, but I would preach that black people have a poor relationship with property. They tend to tear it up rather than to maintain it. I mean, <laughs> the, when they took over Harlem, it, was, it had been uh, built by the Dutch and great, I feel, uh, you know, Art Deco architects, and the buildings were really beautiful buildings. They tore them up. I mean, they just literally massacred the buildings. And and that's a problem. That's a real problem with having a relationship and understanding of development of property. Um, and so everywhere they go, they turn it into a ghetto, if you will. And I, by the way, Jeremy, you know, I don't say any of these things with a lot of of, of joy and rejoicing in my heart that I say this. I think a lot of people misunderstand me. That somehow that I'm gleeful about all this, that I'm, I'm loving it up. I'm not. That's, not, that's not what's going on with me. I'm just telling you, everybody knows that Harlem is a ghetto of the South Central Los Angeles. Listen, leading people like Jesse Jackson said he wouldn't walk down the streets of Harlem at two o'clock in the morning. And if you heard footsteps behind him, he hoped they're going to white people, not black people, because, you know, <laughs> you know what, what black folk do to one another. And, and it's true. And again, but I don't want anybody to think I'm rejoicing. I, mm. I, 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 you know, I take delight in saying these things. I don't. It's just truth. That's all. You were born in North Carolina. That is correct. And you picked cotton. Is that right? That is correct. Also, I did. My word. That that is that is a very stereotypical upbringing for a for a black American. You know, I think that anyone who's never picked cotton and we've moved from that era of humans picking cotton over the past 50, 60 years, uh, it is an experience within itself that is classic. And I did it, but not just myself. My mother did it. Mm. All my siblings did it. Um, and we were paid three dollars a hundred for 100 pounds of cotton, wow. we got paid only $3. So if you imagine cotton's very light to get 100 pounds of that stuff, you got to pick a lot of it. And it's picked in the hot sun, and I did it mostly on my knees because the cotton stalk only grows up to about a little bit above your, your knees and below your waist. So to either bend over or you get down on your knees where it's easier to pick it. I did that, yeah. I can immediately begin to understand why there would be an animosity uh, from black people towards white people. I mean, that seems like an unbelievably horrible upbringing. No, it, it, well, you know, it was the tenor of the times, I think it was. It, 
Uh, it could certainly induce a lot of animosity uh, to have to live like that. I, it, I think the general way of expressing that is uh, we were sharecroppers. That is to say, we were one doorstep removed from slavery. That is to say, once slavery was absolutely outlawed and you couldn't, in, you couldn't in, uh, enforce it anymore, the way black people lived in the same land area that they were once slaves on, they worked the same land, but they got a share of what of the profits were at the end of the year. And by that, I might add a meager share. So the term sharecropper became a very prominent and dominant term. Mm. But yeah, it can produce and has produced and continues to produce a lot of angst. Growing up, Jeremy, in North Carolina, under mm. Jim Crow, uh, for the first 18 years of my life, and segregation and all that whole colored, if you will, event, I, I didn't have anger towards white folk. And oh. I, I didn't. I mean, I just didn't. I lived and we did what we did. But then I came to New York, and at the time, it was in the mid-60s, uh, the Vietnam War was just getting underway, civil rights movement, Dr. King had had his march on Washington in 1963, uh, you know, Rap Brown and Stokely Carmichael and the Black Panthers, Hugh and Newton and Bobby Seale, they were just making known their, uh, their national, if you will, appeal for black power. Uh, Elijah Muhammad and Malcolm X were in tandem in terms of um, uh, they had, prior to my arrival in New York City, had spread the nation of Islam that all white people are devils. Um, and uh, so when I came to New York as an impressionable 18-year-old, I became, if you will, radicalized. Um, and then I began to have this hatred and indifference towards white people as a result of all that was what was going on culturally in the social society. And um, I, I, But I, I was still, because of my work ethics, I was able to get married, go to college, get a decent job. And for the first four or five years in New York, I did well. But that anger grew to the point where I quit my job and I began to, I didn't know what I was gonna do when I left my, and I worked for corporate America, by the way. I worked for a major multinational blue chip corporation as an executive. Um, but then I started uh, breaking into homes. Actually, I tell you, I mean, you know, I, I started breaking into mainly Jewish homes because I thought that I was looking for jewelry. I wasn't looking for televisions, you know, or silver or anything. But I, you know, I had this understanding that Jewish men bought their wives a lot of jewelry, diamonds and golds and, you know, so I particularly looked for those neighborhoods to, to, to break into. And, and I did it all. I did it, in, I did it in Florida, Florida. I did it in Miami Beach. I did it in Long Island. I mean, and, and I did pretty good too, by the way. I mean, I'm I'm not proud of that, and I apologize. I repent for having done it, but that's what I did. And I ended up in prison, by the way. <laughs> and then you became a Christian. Yeah, I did in prison. I, you know, I and, and I realized I'd thrown away so much. I had, I had a beautiful life. I left my wife and children. I abandoned them like typical black men do. Um, and in prison, I recognized that I'd given up so much and disappointed so many people. And I, I asked the Lord Jesus if he would take that burden of pain from me of what I had done, because I looked back over the last, th those few years of my life and they were so ugly. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to get rid of the pain of all the people I hurt and disappointed. And Jesus saved me out there in prison. And so I, I, that's, I've been there ever since I've been preaching for him. I just got indoctrinated when I came from the, the South did not indoctrinate me to hate white folk. Mm. And I'm still a little hesitant about actually making that as a blanket statement. Mm. Um, I, I, I think what I 
experience when I when I left my job and started doing crime was to somehow to, to relate and try to help the black man. So I figured, well, I can do this or that or the other. It, it wasn't the kind of hatred, Jeremy, that I actually see. When I talk to black men or I talk to black people in general, I look into their eyes and I listen to what they say. There's a deep hatred that deeper than uh, there, there are black men that hate white folk deeper than they can love a woman. I can tell you that now. I've been around them all my life, Jeremy, I can, and I am not. But I don't have that. That's not what I have. Uh, and I didn't have it then. But it ended me in prison, what I did have. So what's going on, Pastor Manning? To give you the psychological or spiritual definition would take a bit of time, and I'm sure I have that. But I can tell you this. There is a sense of glorification of gangsterism. For instance, Jay-Z and Puff Daddy or P. Daddy or, you know, the, uh, the, 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 the rappers have, made, have become billionaires. I'm not talking about millionaires. They have become billionaires cussing and calling black women names and talking about killing of the police. And that message resonates with black youth uh, and, and black people in general. And, they, and, and, they, and so they sell lots of records because there is this romanticism with the idea of gangsterism. Um, and, you know, I, I, I've thought about it in many ways. I'm not, but it, it very well is as an industry, for instance, if you go to, to, to Germany, for instance, and where they are, uh, manufacturers of automobiles like Mercedes-Benz or integrated uh, connect, uh, communication systems like Cisco systems or uh, other as cottage industries that fuel the economy of that nation. Uh, and that's how the people find their wealth. Well, black people, on the other hand, have a cottage industry of gangsterism, bitching and moaning, welfare. That's their industry. That's how they fuel uh, th themselves and so sure it is glorified yes and anyone who succeeds if looked up to by harvard law professors if jay-z people like that if you succeed as a gangster they if they look up to you and want to talk to you hmm. they, don't, they don't want to talk to me though i can tell you that right now <laughs> i think i know why <laughs> i must be missing something uh pastor manning because there are so many highly successful black people and i mean and i mean very successful i mean i'm thinking about oprah she didn't grow up uh in any kind of privileged upbringing and in actual fact neither did people like thomas Sowell. i think he also grew up right. in harlem yeah he did not too far from here by the way um yeah for whatever reason that does not necessarily resonate because it looks too much like an ethic that is related to uh, giving white people the respect for their cultural development. Because if you look at Thomas Sowell, um, his ideology and philosophy is, is much aligned with the criticisms um, uh, of, of, of black people's failure and at least the acknowledgement, if not the praise, of European culture's development. And, and so as a result of that, that doesn't sell well in the black community. And so therefore yeah. they don't get the credit uh, recognition that they should. When you say 
someone is holding you down, mm. you are effectively confessing that he is stronger than you. Jesus has a statement in a parable that he makes in the Bible that no man can break into a strong man's house and, and squander his goods unless he is stronger than the man who owns the house. Mm. That's a very simple and basic truth. What I think of what I was expressing in that clip was that black people are expressing that white people are superior to them. They're angry about it, but consciously they don't want to admit it and then find some way to, to equalize or neutralize that superiority. But that's what they admit. Yeah. Black man holding me down, he this and that and the other. Then are you saying that he's greater than you? And it isn't, mind you, that black people cannot succeed. That is not true. That is not that they cannot accomplish. That is not true. Uh, they can. Mm. But if the mentality and the inbreed and breeding of, of all of the society of people is that you are being held down and the result, the response is to complain or, as I say, bitch and moan, you're not going to look to any other efforts. I mean, listen, Jeremy. I pick cotton mm. and for a living, and I live with nine other children in a three-room shack in North Carolina for most of my days. Um, yet I came to New York and I succeeded. I got a job working for major national, three major national corporations. It was, it was because of my mindset. It was because of what I thought. The other thing is, is that you know, when I was interviewed, and this was back in the 70s, 60s and 70s, when I was interviewed by white corporate personnel department people, they didn't sense hatred in me or indifference in me that would make mean I would be a threat to their cooperation. They didn't sense that in me. Um, and so as a result of that, I was able to, to succeed. And what needs to happen is that black folk need to recognize that the venom that they're having and the hatred they're having them is also going to make it very difficult for them mm -hmm. to be able to, uh, to, to demonstrate and prove their wares. And then the other thing is that they got to realize where their, 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 their strengths lie, you know, what they do, what they do and what they do best. Um, but then there's the other problem of the family structure that black men in, turn, in, in general are disrespectful of the work ethics, they're disrespectful of the family ethics, they're disrespectful of, of sacrifice, um, and they don't raise their children to continue to produce, uh, uh, if you will, the generation after generation of successful black men. Slavery itself, Jeremy, is a biblical prophecy. Um, the, the, the first slaves in, 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 in our understanding of humanity and the universe were Jewish slaves to Egyptians under the Moses Pharaoh biblical ideal. And they were there for 400 years. Um, and that obviously was broken by, by Moses. But it was also prophesied that that should take place. And then in, in Genesis chapter 15, verse 13, God told Abraham that, that was going to happen. Not only that, they would be slaves, but they would be afflicted for 400 years. The, the, the second event happened with Canaan and the prophecy by Noah that Canaan will be a servant to Japheth, that is the white folk, and to Shem, to the uh, Jewish people. And many understand that that relationship took place here in America, and I agree that it did. Um, and it was a prophecy. Um, yeah, th these are hard words to accept 
But I have to tell you that it was biblical that slavery should happen here in America, as painful as it is. I'm not saying that brutality should have been, that brutality was biblically prophesied and that it was approved by God. But I'm saying that the idea of slavery, of ownership by one man over another was biblically prophesied. I can't deny that. Well, I like it or no, I can't deny that that it did take place. And then the other truth is, Jeremy, is that it's very difficult for people to understand this, but black people came to America or much better off having been here than they would have been had they stayed in America and it had not taken place here. I mean, the life expectancy is better, the lifestyles are better, the opportunities are far greater than you have in, in Sub-Saharan Africa. Uh, and, and in many ways, the, the, the gem of it all is that the white slave owner introduced Jesus to the black slaves, and the slaves fell in love with Jesus and worshiped him, sang songs, wrote songs about him, became preachers, and, and became builders of churches and universities because the slave master taught him by Jesus. I mean, you know, that's hard for a lot of people to accept, mm. but it's historically true, it's biblically true, and by either ignoring it or hating it does not change it, nor does it bring any other solution. It is what happened. I, I think that the colonialism um, in, in many ways uh, could have been productive. Uh, it could have been on the, on, the, on the verge of what the Bible said about the relationship. And on the other hand, I mean, the, the, the tables could have been turned. There could have been crusaders from from Zimbabwe to London and colonized London. It, it could have been that way, mm. uh, but it was not. Um, and there could have been, you know, if, I suppose crusaders from Zimbabwe or to, 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 to Paris, France. But the colonization of the French and the English, um, and not just in Africa, they colonized in India as well, where they took the entire continent of Africa, Europe did, and then Hong Kong as well. Uh, that has happened, and there's no there's no rewriting it. Did it bring destruction? I don't know that it did. I I I I I, I can't see that it has made. You know, I've already I've, I've taught that Africans have built a ship, a seaworthy vessel, and people hate me for that. <laughs> but it's true. But they haven't. They never built a brick house or they never bought anything, built anything nice for their wives, you know, to live in. No sewer system. Hell, they never invented a damn comb, comb rather. Uh, so a lot of the things that have progressed their lives in terms of medicine uh, has come as a result of colonization. Uh, and it has happened. Can we, they, can Africa move on from it? You know, I, yeah, I was in South Africa, and I, I was in Pretoria. And in Pretoria, they've got this uh, monument there where it gives a pictorial uh, history done uh, in granite in a circular way of the many battles that the Zulus had with the Afrikaners as they came down the Transvaal. And there were several times that the Zulus won the battles. Um, and, 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 but there came a time when they lost the battle and they lost South Africa. And, 
you know, I've been to Cape Town. I flew over Cape Town coming in from Johannesburg. And it is, in terms of modern understanding of cities, it's a beautiful city. <laughs> you know, it's just the, the houses, the, you fly over, you see the, the pools, the golf courses. But you don't necessarily see that in Liberia, where black people have been in control since the Talbot family. So, I mean, so the Afghans, when they did take control of South Africa, they built it to a, to a major and mega nation, which is one of my screams about why I'm being turned over to Nelson Mandela. That's another conversation. I don't want to get into that right now. But what I'm trying to say, I'm not so sure that colonization, that what Europeans brought to Africa was mm. the worst thing. Uh, you've been quite vocal about the gentrification of Harlem. Uh, what, why? Mainly because I feel that there's such an atrocity. It, it, it is such a disgrace that this community um, and the leaders of the community have just given up on the community and allowed others to come in, interlopers, if you will, to come in and to, to take the community from them and all of its precious worth, if you will. Um, they, they just turned and, and walked away and it has been taken over by mainly by members of the LGBTQ community um, and, and then by, in general and by white folk in, in particular. It's all sort of links to Black Lives Matter, Antifa, LGBTQ. It's it's all a, an attempt to break down, to break down that that family structure. Absolutely. I mean, I couldn't have said it better. You're, you're absolutely right. And all three of those entities are see that family structure that has maintained humanity since men first began to walk upright on planet Earth. Uh, and their ultimate goal is to destroy that that family unity and that structure and that entire idea, uh, and then introduce what they now believe as, as a, if you will, culturally defined immediate idea. Antifa, uh, Black Lives Matter, uh, headed by lesbian women, uh, uh, and then the LGBTQ community in general. You know, they're trying to, they've tried their best to run me out of Harlem for years, uh, but I fought against them um, in many ways, there you could call the uh, what's happening here um, in, um, in in Harlem a, a sort of a quasi colonization. Um, it, it isn't colonization as it mm. as the African or European, I mean the Indian colonization or a Chinese colonization. But you can look at it that way. Uh, but their ideas and their goals are completely different in, in terms of what they're looking to do. There is an attempt that is being fueled by the media and by liberal politicians mm. to dethrone the universal family structure uh, and, and the men. biblical, huh? And men. Yes, of course, that's right. Um, mm. And I'm a man that they hate. I mean, I think they I'm hated by that group more than I am hated by black folk. At some point, Jeremy, one has to look and say, "All right, you tried." Uh, you, you had Rosa Parks not sit at the back of the bus. You had the Montgomery bus boycott. You had the Edmund Pettus Bridge, John Lewis. You had the March on Washington with Dr. King. You had the Malcolm X and Elijah Muhammad in the Nation of Islam. You had Stokely Carmichael and Black Power. You, you know, you've even had Obama, so-called Black President. <laughs> and you're still looking for answers. I mean. Obviously, you're saying none of those things have worked, so now we got to try something altogether different. At, at some point, uh, one needs to realize 
that you're confessing that those things have failed. Of course, mm -hmm. I agree that they have. But if they, what, what makes you think now that by simply blaming, making a blanket statement about white folk being the problem, not even giving any room for negotiation, uh, when, and, and in that clip, the, the, the fellow stated from Prager University that, that even the ideas of Dr. King or judging people by the content of their character rather than the color of their skin uh, has failed and is a naive idea. Um, at some point, somebody's got to wake up and say, wait a minute, we're going about this and wrong. And the other thing is that mm. the murders of black youth in Chicago, crime in America right now, Jeremy, is off the chart shooting. And of course, we're black and white right now. Uh, but it, it's been a consistent stable in black communities of, of crime, of, of shootings, of, of deaths, of killings. Um, and you would think that were the, the teachings of Dr. King or some of the others going back over the years in their efforts to somehow or another equalize or make black people somewhat better, that that would have fallen off, that that's angst against each other, uh, that inhumanity towards each other would have ceased. And our problems now will be more on the order of disease or more on the order of perfecting uh, our business skills, not that we're still dealing with basic, damn it, killing one another. It's, it's, it's ridiculous that it hasn't advanced the cause. Why? Of black why do you think? Because it's not the answer. That's why. It's a very simple answer. If it was the answer, then it wouldn't. It, you can't say that what Dr. King did was the answer. It was not. Or what Malcolm X did was the answer. Or what, or what Stokely Carmichael or what any of the others, or, or even Obama, was not the answer. It, it just wasn't. And the answer, in part, now this is not safe, but the answer is, in terms of identifying the black man as a black man, which I'm loath to do, I'd rather call him a hammock, but the answer is that he is his own problem. He's his problem. He's the one that's holding himself down and making himself available to be held down by every damn body else. He is his own problem. He, his level of understanding, his failure to understand how the world works and to actually come to a point where he realizes, I don't know how to do this and I need to stop complaining. You know, when I was in that jail cell, Jeremy, and you asked me about it about a few, a few minutes ago, I realized that I had done wrong, that I, you know, I, I'd gone down the wrong road and I wasn't about to continue down that path. I wanted some relief. And I realized it had to start with me. I couldn't blame the system, blame the police, blame the government, blame my father, blame Jim Crow. I had to realize it started with, it has to start with me. And until the black man uh, en masse recognizes that the white people are not his problem, the government is not his problem, he is his problem. And until he turns around and says, wait a minute, there are things that we ourselves can do in a, in a matter of days that can make our, our lives 90% better, mainly our own sense of morality, our own sense of family, our own sense of truth. Listen, we sold each other to, as Africans, to white slave ship. We need to, damn it, admit it and, 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 and try to rectify it. We need to stop acting like slavery only happened when they got here to America. We did it in Africa. By starting with those kinds of truths, would greatly begin to change the situation 
But until that happens, none of this other stuff, everything you've seen from Dr. King to W.E.B. the boy to everybody else has been saying that white folk is the problem. And that's why it hasn't worked. So what's the next step? Well, it, it, I, I personally, I, I, I keep believing that it's somehow or another the message I have or the message of, of, of Dr. Soil or doc, uh, others, and they're limited, by the way, who have a message that will break through. Um, at, at some point, I'm just expecting a miracle because there, there is nothing out in the ethos beyond a miracle taking place where he finally recognizes and he turns and, and looks at himself and says, wait a minute. Um, we can do better. We are better than this. Um, and, and we, you know, I, 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 you know, I preach, Jeremy, you probably not heard, heard the sermon, but I preach black people are standing up and thank white folk that they brought them here to America. I said, they ought to do it. And, you know, it's, it's, it, 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 it would begin to open doors. It might seem ludicrous. It might seem crazy that black people in mass would watch Mark down to Washington one day and say, white America, thank y'all for bringing us here to America. Because when we look at what we could have been in Africa and, and you brought us here and you've given us great opportunities, thank you for what you have done. Thank you. You know, that the spirit of that could sweep across America and bring about a great change and would, and would change the hearts of a lot of different people as well, black and white. In South Africa, you've had, you made a mistake by bringing Nelson Mandela in as president. I understand that apartheid was, was, was very painful. Um, but what needed to have happened is an acknowledgement that South Africa had built Johannesburg, Cape Town, Kruger National Park, Durban, um, and had built at South Africa, compared to Egypt, had perhaps the most prestigious part of the whole continent of Africa built by white folk. I think that should have been respected. Um, you know, you won't get the idea that apartheid stole from the Zulus all those beautiful buildings, that government, that structure, all those restaurants, all that that was built by the Africana, that somehow or another, that the Zulus had that and that was stolen from them. And it's not true. It isn't true. And that should have been acknowledged. And I, I think that that's one of the things that needs to happen. And then uh, appendage to that needs to be European nations and America need to stay the hell out of South African business. That is to say, fueling the African leaders like Lebeki and others uh, and Zuma into thinking that you've been wrong so long that anything you do is right because white people have been wrong against you for so damn long you can do anything and it's right and while at the same time you know the white people took america from the native americans you do know that right it's mm -hmm. just somehow or another that does not exist i think those two things jeremy would greatly but it has to be in the hearts of south african people the zulus and others they have to recognize you know they built these roads they mm. built these uh, these institutions, and we get we ought to give credit where credit is due, and and just in sometimes I thought that if, if that had simply been respected, it would have made the transition. And Jeremy, one other thing, and please let the people know this: 
if that had been respected in South Africa, among the South African youth, Zulus, black people in general, if they had had in their heart, we respect how y'all have built this as a great nation, it would have internally prevented looting and rioting and murder and neckties and necklaces. It would have immediately deterred that because the people that if they were coming to power would have come to power recognizing that, listen, you, you people be, you build this and we respect it to the highest. Thank you for, for giving us this. That would have helped. And it'll help now, by the way. Let me ask you a question from Brandon. Um, he wants to know, Pastor Manning, uh, your views on um, affirmative action. Does it maintain a victimhood culture? I think affirmative action is the craziest thing I've ever heard in my life. Well, affirmative action says, affirmatively, that we're not as good as you white folk. We don't expect us to get an A. I mean, come on. Listen, allow us to enter into your institutions or your structures with a, a C minus. Uh, don't expect, we know that you white folk can get an A. We know that, you're good at it, we're not good at it. Please pass a law that says that the playing field gets level. We are not as intelligent, so our C minus is as good as your A. It's crazy as hell. It's crazy. How do people get past the mentality of victimhood? That's a great question. Um, the um, but the easy answer is it has got to be stopped as being taught as a paradigm, as a salvation, as a solution. See, when I was picking cotton in North Carolina, I wasn't a victim. No one told me I was. No one told me I was a victim. They tell me now I'm a victim. They tell me I was raised up in Jim Crow South and I was a victim, but I never thought about myself that way. And because mass media, liberal media, people like CNN and MSNBC, Washington Post, New York Times, all of those people gender their money and their audiences by promoting victimization. And because it's taught, I mean, it's like Catholic religion. You go there and you learn how to do the Catholic cross. You learn how to do, you learn those things because that's what victimization is taught and publicized by the politicians, by the media. And so a, a young child growing up in the ghettos of Harlem and South Central Los Angeles are going to immediately see themselves as victims and going to respond as such. That's not necessarily true. Did, uh, did Obama bring Americans closer together? Hell no. No. No, and that was not his intent to do that. Um, Obama's presidency was built on one of the greatest divides um, in American history. It was a racial election. That's what it was. It was an election about race. Now, you know, one could argue that and say, well, you know, black people needed their, up, their due. Then you can argue that if that's what you want to be able to do. But the, rate, the, relate, the, the election was about race. It was about here is a black man. We need a black president. And so it, it was not about the ethics. It was not about economics. It was not about, you know, making a trip to the moon. It was not about global development. Mm. It was about race and race only. And when you make it about race, you immediately, unwittingly divide people. There's no way 
you can say it's about race, about the black race, without dividing or isolating the white race. That was exactly what it was. And, and, and to this day remains. So probably a lot of folks have difficulty actually thinking that this is true. But I can tell you, I've been around black folk all my life. And there are a large number of black people, especially youth, but middle age as well, thought that once Obama became president, that their responsibilities of paying their bills, I'm serious, was over. That it was all gonna be taken care of by him. The responsibility of hard work, of going to college and studying hard and getting those graduate degrees, that all failed, not just unemployment, but all of that tanked because the mentality was a black president is going to solve all these problems so we don't have to work as hard as we used to or even now at all. And not only that, but a lot of young black men thought they were invincible. So when the police stopped them, they said, we got a black president. You can't talk to me, you lonely police. And he bust the cap on his, you know what? But that's what happened. Yeah, I, I, I did go to Haiti. It was oh, three or four years ago now. Um, Haiti used to be the crown jewel of the Caribbean uh, in terms of its its coffee and sugar production, and it still has the potential to do that. Uh, Toussaint Overture, uh, who in many ways I affirm him for having led a revolt against Napoleon and the French for uh, the, the, the slave labor that was taking place there. But what, what, ha what did not happen after that was a transition into turning Haiti into an economic economy. What happened was Haitians turn, and a lot of people like to blame the Europeans, and they say that the global market stopped buying the coffee, they stopped buying the sugar. That's not true. You don't stop buying coffee and sugar if you like coffee and sugar, and that's where you get it from. You don't stop buying it because of current political event. You keep on buying it, and they would have. But what happened is the production went down, because again, black folk have a sense, a poor sense of production, a poor sense of, of global economics, and they have an excellent sense of turning in on one another and destroying one another. That's what happened to Haiti. That's what's happened to Haiti right now. That's what happened with Papa Doc and Baby Doc. And that's why the, 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 the nation that could be the jewel of, of, the, of, of the Caribbean is now the poorest uh, in, in the Western Hemisphere. But that poverty can be broken. And I believe that it can. But, you know, I went down to Haiti. Some said, you ought to first break the poverty here in America, then go talking about doing it someplace else abroad, but I understand that. But, but you called it a curse. Yeah, and it is. It, it is. it is a slave mentality curse that goes back to the Noah event that I talked about early on about Ham or Canaan being cursed to be a slave and was so here in America. See, you can't hold a man down unless you're stronger than he is. But if you are cursed, Jeremy, and the, 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 the mentality where you can't understand where the world, the curse is, is that you don't understand the world. You know, you may be understand how to dribble a basketball. You may be able to play a guitar. You may be able to run, but you really don't stand, understand. You can't understand it. You are cursed. You, your level, because if you could think in those terms, you would overcome any enemy or oppressor. So the curse is related to the fact that there's a cutoff on the ability to intellectually understand the world.
In front of you, there is a crystal ball. What do you see? Very dark. But once the dark itself has done as done in the days of the Bible, in the beginning of creation, has darkness itself cannot maintain. It, 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 it is not a consistent, is not eternal. It just isn't. It just isn't. And in that ball, I see the darkness. But once that darkness fades and it no longer has its power, light will flood and flourish humanity. And Jeremy, I'm glad you asked the question. Because I think a large part of humanity, of the unity of humanity on planet Earth has to do with the dark black man finally realizing where he needs to kneel and pray, what he needs to do in order to be able to integrate himself into society. And as a result of that, uh, it'll bring global, global peace in many ways. Listen, here in America, politics in America is always about black and white. Republican Party, Democrat Party. Democrats got the black people on their side and Republicans don't. And all the issues are around race. But once that darkness, that blackness, that is removed as an, as an existential, if you will, part of our existence, light will come. But it isn't going to be easy, and I'm not sure how long. The hair on my arms, Pastor Manning, is standing up. <laughs> Just from listening to that. It's a great way to end our conversation. I know that you have to, I know that you have to leave. Um, may I say that you are a true gentleman, uh, and it's an absolute pleasure uh, chatting to you. Thank you for having me. I, I do appreciate having the opportunity, uh, and, and for you giving me the liberty to express my views. Uh, you interview me, your interview makes it easy for me to speak. Trust me, I've had some tough ones. Thank you for your for your ease of speech towards me and your respect for who I am as well. God bless you. <laughs> and, and, and God bless you as well. And let me say peace as well to you. Fantastic. Peace be unto you. All right. Thank you, Jim. Thank you. My name is Jim. This is Jim Warfare, the Battle of Ideas.